Well, our very first story, I wish we, I had some sound effect of knitting needles because no one's going to gather some wool for us, folks. I know. This is one of those stories that we kind of promised ourselves that we weren't going to do is these wool gathering stories. And we do about every three stories. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But I thought this article was so fascinating. It was from Core 77, which is this kind of industrial design um, hub. And it was talking about the idea of sustainability. Are they giving you money? You always. I love them. They I have really good did. stuff. I know. Do. I, do. I should go there. But I have to, like, I go through waves. You know, remember it used to be PSFK all That's the time. That's what I'm going to PSFK. Yeah, there you go. Your anyway. teeth look really white, too. I just went to the dentist. My dentist won't polish them. Nice. <laughs> Folks. Are you just trying to take Folk. my mind off my wool gathering story? <laughs> yeah, oh, <Folk> chiclet. <laughs> anyway, they had this great story um, that was just playing with the idea of sustainability 3.0. And what they mean by that is if sustainability 1.0 is the idea of cradle to cradle design that's mm-hmm. been around for about 10 years, and sustainability 2.0 is the idea of uh, what they're calling social sustainability, meaning how the things are sort of installed in the environments in which they are and what kinds of things we ought to be building, taking into consideration the social factors around sustainability. So sustainability 3.0 that they're saying is kind of just coming up on the radar of designers is this idea that we should be thinking about design for adaptability. Mm-hmm. And so what they mean by that is thinking about if we're dealing with like climate change and political instability and all this other kind of stuff, to think about design in terms of ways that are more flexible, that people can more easily adapt what they're doing. And so some of the examples they gave when there have been um, sort of suppression of internet freedom in the recent um, uprisings in some of the um, Arab states how there were these kind of workarounds that sprang up around like using cell phones and uh, previous generations of internet connectivity to try and respond to things. And so they're actually thinking about how you would try to build things to to play off of that idea of being able to adapt and change according to changing circumstances. And among them that they were thinking about was something we've actually talked about on Spark before, which is the idea of thinking about what's the ecosystem of really lightweight, changeable things that you can put on the ground to adapt to that. So something like AutoShare is an example of how you can have a system where people can share a small number of cars. Mm -hmm. It's very flexible rather than each individual person having to own their own car. So the whole lot of ideas just... You know, and it's all kind of speculative at this point, but just thinking about how do you create more responsive technologies, which I found kind of fascinating, but it also made me wonder, is that the way the really big problems get tackled, big global problems get tackled, right? Like, I mean, there's this whole kind of conversation about instead of saying combat climate change of adapting to climate change and figuring out how to adapt to climate change, is that really how you tackle the big global problems? You know, uh-huh. and, and sort of localized and responsive, or do you do it by having like all countries getting together in a trans state? Mm-hmm. I didn't obviously didn't read the article quite as closely as you did, but the thing that I kind of took away with it was more of that macro um, approach. Was is that okay? Because they were talking a bit about the um, the nuclear disaster, the recent nuclear disaster in Japan, mm-hmm. and say that if you're talking about you're building a nuclear reactor, it's really up to the designers to design something that maybe wouldn't put out quite as much power, but it wouldn't crash. It wouldn't be as in, be inclined to crash, so that they would build. And I believe the term that they used in yeah, it was designing for resilience. Mm-hmm. 
But that's what I think what they mean is, right, is designing something that even if you have to get rid of a little bit of the optimal functionality, designing it so that it can be, yes, resilient, but also responsive, and they have like a bunch of different R's, resource, resourceful and resilient and so on. Because what I kind of liked about that was the idea, like the way that you just explained it. I think as individuals, we will be more likely to do that. But I don't know that nations or that corporations would necessarily, that is a substantial change in how corporations think in terms of like the idea is is to optimize how much money that you can make from something and you do not even think about it being sustainable. You just think about throwing it out and then mm-hmm. starting again. Although we so, have great examples of things that do work that way, right? The internet is a perfect example of a system that has a ton of redundancy built into it and is built in a way that it's the ultimate open platform and open system, right? It can be used for anything. Well, not anything, yeah. but, you know, it could yeah. be. So, but, of course, that was not designed by private corporations. So there you go. But, but I thought it was just an interesting thing to chew on as a possible yeah, thing. Yeah, no, it is. Because, about. yeah, because I honestly, when I read it, I, I really just read it right through. I'm like, ha, 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 that'll never happen. But <laughs> no, but you're right. When you're talking about the example of in the Arab states and about things like that, like people are enormously resilient themselves in figuring out how to go through things. Mm-hmm. But And I think you're right about the idea of the individual. Because as individuals, if we have any sort of sense, we kind of do that automatically in our own lives, right? We put a little money aside in case we lose our job or we, you know, we have contingency plans in place. We have a backup in case something doesn't work and so on. We are designed to be responsive to our environment. Yeah, but then you could also argue, like, look at the mess that a lot of people are in financially now by thinking that somebody else, like, they're spending to the max and they aren't saving. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Ivet, this is a much more important story. Nose filters. <laughs> okay. Who out there, A, has bad allergy problems, or B, yeah? Me. Not you bad, do? but I have allergy in, in spring. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. They have, I always say they. They, this is a company <laughs> called First Defense Nasal Screens. And what do they do? What do they do? Well, imagine, have you ever smoked hash, Nora? Do you no. know what? Okay. Well, do you know what um, a little screen looks like that you would put in a pipe? Yes. For when you used to smoke your pipe when you were yes. a teenager. Okay. It kind of looks like that. Imagine you ram, you get two of those, you get seven of them for nine ninety five, <laughs> and you ram them up your nostrils, mm-hmm. and it stops 90 95% of airborne allergens and viruses from getting into your system. Now, it does nothing for what you're going to suck up through your mouth. But I was thinking, at first I went, oh, come on. But then I thought... For a lot of people that have problems with um, pets and things like that, and you look like you're going to start laughing. <laughs> Your nostrils are twitching. I'm just flaring my nose. I'm imagining shoving these things up my nose every time I go to pat the cat. In a day and age when everybody's petrified about getting sick, I actually and love this. I'm obsessed with not getting colds and flus because CBC, first of all, is like, I mean, it's kind of over, and that season is kind of over now, but in no, it's the winter. Back. There's another one right oh, around. It's crap. terrible. Oh. It's like kennel cough in that building, right? Like, because everyone's sharing the same equipment and stuff. It just goes, like, around and around and around. I wash my hands. My hands are, like, sandpaper. I wash them about eight times a day. I'm like, how are you? Is there something? Yeah. Well, then- so, I mean, that, and, and that's the thing. And then, you know, you're being so careful, and then some jackass sneezes beside you, and then where are you? And if you had your nasal screens, you wouldn't have to worry about that. You could just whip your hand Don't rub your eyes. That's the only thing. Yeah. And they're 100% breathable, non-latex, skin-safe material. And they attach around the rim of each nostril via an adhesive. Can I still put Kleenex boxes on my feet? 
<laughs> but you know what? Actually, for I allergies, so I, think it, I don't think it's that far-fetched. Far, yeah. I think it would be great for allergies. And then when you think, like, we're all running around putting that um, stuff. Hand sanitizer? Yeah, yeah, hand sanitizer. Look at how much business hand sanitizers are doing. So, yes. That's it. That was my fascinating story. <laughs> That's good. Would you shove something up your nose if you thought it could protect you from allergies or from your horrible coworkers who sneeze and cough? No one in particular, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> Come to the blog. For links to these stories and more. The sniffer. Done then. Bye. Bye.